I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So uh, we're going to do something that we never do. We're going to skip a little section. This first 11 verses of John, famous story, woman caught in, a, caught in adultery, and Jesus says, you know, whoever hasn't sinned, you cast the first stone. If you have a Bible, it's probably in italics, and it says, you know, this story isn't found in some of the oldest manuscripts. So it's a true story, I believe. It's authentic. It just is in the wrong spot. So we're going to circle back to it later, and we'll talk about where it belongs and, and maybe how it got put here. But for now, we're going to skip ahead to verse 12 because it follows immediately on what we looked at last week. So remember last week, it's the festival of tabernacles. It's the last day of that festival. And Jesus stands up and he says, anyone who's thirsty, come and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. It's this God-like claim. And you have some people who are beginning to say, hey, he's the Messiah. And then you have the Pharisees who are shutting all of that down. They're completely closed to anything positive about Jesus. They've made up their mind that he needs to be arrested and to be killed, and that's the road, road that they're on. And today picks up, and it's, it's still the same day. It's that eighth day of the feast. Jesus is teaching in the court of women. It's, that, it's the, the, the square that's closest to you on the bottom of that picture. So you have Jewish men and women who are together in that court. That's where the, the treasury was, where you could throw in your offering, and he's teaching next to where people put in their offering. And remember in John, John says explicitly, my point, the reason I'm writing all of this, is so that y'all would know Jesus is the Messiah and that, um, and, and by believing in him, you'd have life in his name. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on what Jesus said and what Jesus did. John focuses on who Jesus is. And one of the ways that we, uh, Jesus kind of reveals himself or that we get to see who he is, it's through these conversations that oftentimes turn into arguments that he has with people. And so that's what today is. Jesus issues an invitation, and then Jesus issues a warning. And what we want to be listening for through all of that is what does this reveal about Jesus's identity? That's the key for us. That's what John wants us to be focusing on. So starting in verse 12 of chapter 8. So when, again, when Jesus spoke again to the people, so the last thing Jesus said was, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from within you. And now this is his next statement. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged Jesus. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. So we'll pause right there. So Jesus makes this claim on the light of the world. That's a God-like claim as well. And we'll circle back to that at the end. And the Pharisees challenge him. Who are you to say this? Anybody can say whatever they want about themselves. You're making these claims. Who, who can back that up? Who's going to corroborate these statements that you're making? And Jesus says, well... I, I'm, I can say things about myself that are true because I know where I come from, God, and I know where I'm going back to God. Y'all don't know anything about me. And so the things that y'all are saying about me are actually not, they're not valid. My words about myself are because I actually, I know what I'm talking about. I know where I'm going and I know where I come from. And y'all don't know either of those things about me. And so the, 
Conclusions that you're drawing about me are faulty. They're according to the flesh. They're unrighteous. And then Jesus says, I I didn't come to judge. And that word judge can mean either evaluate or condemn. And I think he means condemn in this this, uh, context. I, I condemn no one. But if I do condemn, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where's your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So what the Pharisees have done is they're misapplying the law. So in Deuteronomy, it says that if you're convicted of a crime, there need to be two eyewitnesses to convict you. Two eyewitnesses to convict of a crime. So what the Pharisees are saying to Jesus is, you're making these statements about yourself. You need another witness to back, to back you up, to corroborate what you're saying. Rather than saying to the, if the law was applied correctly, it would be the Pharisees providing the witnesses. They're the ones who think Jesus is guilty of something, blasphemy. So they need to charge him with that, and then they need to produce two witnesses who can say, yeah, we heard him say this about himself. What they're doing is they're turning the law upside on its head, and they're saying, rather than Jesus, us having to prove your guilt by producing witnesses, you actually have to, produce your, to prove your innocence by producing witnesses. You need somebody who can back up what you're saying. And what Jesus says to them is, is I'm not here to condemn anybody. That's what y'all are doing to me. I'm not here to condemn anybody, but... If I were to condemn people, I actually would be right because it's not just me who would condemn you. It's the Father who would condemn you as well. So I actually have two witnesses. You don't. I do. I have two witnesses who would condemn you for rejecting me. And they say, well, where's your Father? We want to hear from him. They're not understanding. And Jesus says, if you knew me, then you would know my Father. And again, nobody can grab him. The Pharisees want to arrest him, but they can't because it's not the right time. It's not yet the right time. So whatever it means for the father to protect the son, that's what's happening there. The father's protecting Jesus. He's keeping these people from arresting him. Again, I don't know what that looks like on the ground, but that's what's happening. So now a warning. So they don't respond to Jesus' invitation. Hey, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me doesn't have to walk in darkness. You can receive the light of life. They don't respond to that. So now he issues a very direct, I think, it's a direct warning to these people who, to this crowd. So once more, Jesus says to the crowd, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you can't come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you can't come? But Jesus continued, you're from below, I'm from above, you're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. We'll pause there. So Jesus says, you know, where I'm going, you can't come, you're going to die in your sins. Rather than grabbing onto this idea of dying in their sins, what these Jews grab onto is, well, where's he going to go? He must be going to kill himself, and then he's going to go to hell. As Jews believed, if you killed yourself, you go to hell. And so they're thinking, well, he's going to go to hell, and that's why he says he's going to go someplace that we can't come. They completely misunderstand. Where Jesus is going is back to the Father. He's going to heaven. And what he's saying to them is, y'all are actually going to go to hell if you don't believe that I'm the Messiah. You think that I'm going to hell, I'm not. I'm going to heaven and y'all are going to be in hell if you don't recognize that I'm the Messiah. They they don't get it. So then he's, I think, even more direct. And he says, listen, 
I'm from heaven. You're not. Believe me, listen to what I'm saying. If you don't believe that I'm he, you're going to die. And their response, well, who are you? And I think Jesus is exasperated. So you can imagine exasperated voice. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I've heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father, so Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I'm he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So I think Jesus at this point is super exasperated. So these guys say to him, all right, well, if we're supposed to believe that you're he, well, who is he? Who are you? Two and a half years into Jesus' ministry. And he's going, listen, I've performed signs that pointed to who I am. I've taught. I said I'm the light of the world. I said I'm the bread of life. I said anyone who believes in me will never die. I've got witnesses. You want witnesses. The last time I was here a year ago, you can go back and read in chapter 5. The last time I was here in Jerusalem a year ago, I gave you four. I gave you John the Baptist. I gave you my father. I gave you the signs that I performed. I gave you the Old Testament. You don't believe any of it. You don't believe the witnesses. You don't believe my words. You don't believe my signs. What, what else do you want me to do? How else can I get across to you that I'm the Messiah? These Jews are like, they, it, it's completely over their head. They can't fathom that somehow they could get sideways with God. In their mind, they're God's chosen people. And these aren't just Jews. These are the righteous ones. They've showed up for the festival. They've been there for eight days in obedience to the law. They can't fathom that somehow they're rejecting a gift that God is giving to them. They can't fathom that they're doing anything displeasing to God. And so Jesus pulls out the big gun and he says, here's when you'll understand. When you kill me, that's, that's when you'll know. When you crucify me, then you'll know that I'm the Messiah and that I'm sent from the Father. Don't misunderstand that. Don't believe for a second that my crucifixion means the Father has rejected me. Doesn't mean that at all. Everything I'm doing, including my death, I'm doing in obedience to him. He's always with me, and everything I do pleases him. That's when you'll know. Because they can't hear, and they can't see, and they can't seem to respond to anything else that he's said or done for the last two and a half years. And we do, it closes with a little bit of hope. Hey, some people are beginning to believe. That's good. And next week, we'll pick up there and we'll see Jesus addressing these ones who believe directly. But even their belief is really shaky. And the way he responds to them is not how we would expect someone to respond to people who are beginning to put their faith uh, in Jesus. And so it, it makes us think, well, may, maybe they're not really trusting in him very deeply. And, and that's where we'll close for this morning. So think about that. J John wants us to know who Jesus is. So that by believing in him, we'll have life in his name. There's one identity statement. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me doesn't have to walk in darkness, but they can receive, they can have the light of life. And that's what I want us to grab onto this morning. So the background for the Festival of Tabernacles is the Israelites in the wilderness. So you remember that story. It's in Exodus and Numbers. It ends in Deuteronomy. Forty years, the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness, through the desert. And God leads them. And he leads them by appearing to them as either a pillar of cloud during the day or a pillar of fire at night. And the idea is that as the cloud moves, the people move. They follow the cloud. 
And when the cloud stops, the people stop, and they set up camp. And so for 40 years, that's what happens. God leads his people through this cloud and through this pillar of fire. Those are representations or manifestations of his presence. And as he goes, the people go, and when he stops, the people stop. Jesus is taking or or, or kind of trafficking on that imagery. Every night at the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles, they'd light these candelabras, so you had all of these big menorahs with all of the candles. And so you've got that visual for the people there in this court of women with all of these menorahs. And then you've got the background uh, theologically and historically for them of God leading them by this pillar of fire. And Jesus steps into that and says, I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, you, don't, you won't walk in darkness. You can receive the light of life. Strong statement. The key word to me there is follow. Salvation's not transactional. It's not a one-time decision. It's an invitation to an ongoing relationship. Just like in the end of Exodus and through Numbers and in Deuteronomy where we see the Israelites moving, keeping in step with this pillar, we see Jesus saying, hey, y'all, you follow me. It's an invitation to salvation for sure. We don't have to flail and grope in the darkness of our sin anymore. And I think it's also an invitation to ongoing relationship. We don't have to live in the darkness anymore. Paul says it this way, keep in step with the Spirit. It's one of the things that we talk about here a lot is being led by the Spirit or hearing the voice of God. And we don't mean hear with our ears, but with our hearts. God wants to lead us. We'll see When we get to John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. My sheep, they hear my voice. They know my voice. And here I think Jesus is alluding to that same reality that he's a good shepherd and he wants to lead us. He doesn't just want to forgive us of our sins, but he wants to lead us into this life that the Father has created for us. It doesn't mean you have to check with him on everything. You don't have to ask him if you should eat pizza or nachos after church. You you pick. He doesn't care. But there are plenty of things that he does care about. And the idea and the the invitation, I think, from Jesus is stick with me. You keep following me. Follow. That's continuous action. You keep following me. And I'll lead you into the paths of peace and righteousness and fruitfulness that my Father has laid out for you. So how do we do that? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we follow a pillar of cloud and fire? We don't get to see that. God isn't doing that for you. You don't get a cloud or fire. You act, and you don't get Jesus physically walking around with you. So how do we keep in step with the Spirit? A couple of things for you to keep in mind. One, there's hearing God. There's multiple pieces to that equation. There's, an interpre- there's, a, there's a revelation. That's, that's information. That's something new. God's revealing something to you that you didn't already know. And then there's interpretation. What does that mean? And then there's application. What do I do with that? What is a faithful response? You can see that passage there from Acts 21, just a few short verses. So Agabus is a prophet, and he shows up, we'll call it like in a house church, and, and he binds his wrist with the belt. So that's, a, that's revelation. God spoke to Agabus. He saw maybe a picture of Paul with his hands bound. That's revelation. That's news, new information, stuff that people wouldn't know unless God revealed or disclosed it to them. And then Agabus has an interpretation. The Holy Spirit gives him this interpretation. Here's what the picture means. The guy who owns this belt, that's Paul. He's going to be handed over by the Jews to the Gentiles. That's what the picture means. That's the interpretation. 
And then the people in the house church, these people who love Paul, their application is, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Because if you go, you're going to get arrested. You're a great church planter. You're the best missionary we've got. If they arrest you, you're going to be useless. Don't go. They misapply the truth. Revelation, check. Interpretation, check. Application, X. They miss it. You got to get all three. God wanted Paul in Jerusalem. He actually told Paul to go to Jerusalem. And he told Paul in advance, hey, you're going to get arrested. I'm going to have you stand in front of kings. And the way Paul got in front of kings was as a prisoner. That's how it worked. You get it from the people's standpoint. They love Paul and they can't fathom how it's good for the gospel or good for the kingdom for Paul, their best missionary and church planter, to be in jail. That seems like that doesn't make sense to them. But it's what God wanted. And so for us, as we're thinking about hearing the Lord, just remember there's these three stages or phases or pieces, and they all need to come together. There's the word, what is God saying to me? What does that actually mean? And then what am I supposed to do with that? What, What does faithfulness look like in light of this interpretation and revelation? So God speaks to us through three primary means. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the church, if you like alliteration, through Scripture, through the Spirit, and through the saints. So the Bible is universal truth. True for all people in all places at all times. The Bible tells us who God is. The Bible tells us what God's doing in the world. The Bible tells us how to relate to God. And the Bible tells us how to relate to one another. The Bible says, here's how you treat your husband and your wife. Here's how you treat your parents and your kids. Husbands, you love your wives like Jesus loved the church. You sacrifice for them. Wives, you honor your husbands. Children, you honor and obey your parents. Parents, you don't exasperate your children and you don't provoke them to anger. Those are general rules, principles, truths. And they apply everywhere to all people for all time. The Bible tells us how to treat our enemies. We love them. We pray for those who persecute us. We bless them. You don't have to ask if you're supposed to forgive somebody. It's already written. Yeah, you do. The Bible tells us to give and to give cheerfully. It doesn't tell us how much to give, but it tells us we should give. That's our relationship with our money. We know what God is doing in the world. He's bringing his kingdom to the earth as it is in heaven. He's reversing the effects of the fall. He's forming a people for himself. That's what God is doing. And we know how he, how he wants to relate to us and us to relate to him as sons and daughters to a father. That All of those things are in the Bible and they're true again for everybody always in all places. The Bible's a plumb line for us. Any, any decisions that we make, any sense of where the Lord's leading us, it's got to conform to that plumb line, to that standard. If, it's, if it doesn't, then it's not the Lord. He's the one that inspired the Bible and he doesn't forget what he said. And so anything he leads us to do is going to, to agree with what he's already revealed in the word. But there's plenty of decisions that we have to make that are not written in the Bible. You can't look up a chapter in a verse for whether or not you should get married or who you should marry or where you should go to college or what you should major in or whether you should take job A or job B or whether you should move into this neighborhood or that one or how many kids you should have or where they should go to school or how you should spend your free time or whether you should volunteer. None of those things. There's not a verse and there's not a chapter. 
for that. If God gave us each a book, that's a big book times 7.5 billion people that would explain every decision in our life. And so rather than that, he just takes up residence within us by his Holy Spirit, who's a compass, who guides us into all truth. Guides us into the truth of the Bible? Absolutely. And guides us into our, quote, personal truth. And hear that for what it is. It's not your personal interpretation of the Bible. It's the decisions that are unique to you. God cares. God cares. And he's looking for us as children to ask him as our father, lead me, tell me. God's the, he's the smartest guy in the room, always. He's the only guy that can see around the corner, always. And he's wanting us to ask him, what's best? What would you have me do? And he reveals that to us by the Holy Spirit. That's not hearing with your ears, it's with your heart. I'm a thinker. God kind of speaks to me through my thoughts. If I have a thought that's smarter than me, that's kinder than me, that's more loving than me, that's wiser than me, I think that may be the Lord. Some of you are feelers. I'm not. God may speak to you through your feelings. You talk about your gut. I just kind of knew. I'm looking over here, Brian Musoff, he's a gut guy. Aren't you? Yes. We talked about that. And that's how he knows. God speaks to him down here. He speaks to me up here. Neither one is better than the other. It's just a matter of knowing yourself. Some people see pictures. A lot of you know Kim. She sees pictures. If she's ever prayed with you, she, here's how she'll start. I see a picture. Sometimes it's like a photograph. Sometimes it's like a, more like a movie, several scenes. And then so that, that's revelation. And then we've got to figure out, okay, what does that picture mean? God, what do you mean by that picture? And then what am I supposed to do with that? All three of those pieces, all three of those layers. The Holy Spirit can lead you into the truth of all of that. And He wants to speak to you. If you're a child of God, then your Father wants to speak to you. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, then your shepherd wants to lead you. He says, my sheep know my voice. Not some of them, not most of them. Not the ones who spend an hour in their prayer time, not the ones who never sin. He says, my sheep know my voice. If you're one of his sheep, then you know. And then the church. Don't think about the corporate body. That's okay. Think about the handful of people who love you and love God. The Holy Spirit speaks through them, oftentimes encouragement, sometimes direction, and sometimes correction. That's a little more rare. The church, or that group, at its best is a source of wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's knowing what to do in a particular situation. And the church, at its best, when you're trying to make a decision, is a source of wisdom. Whether that wisdom is through the Word, or through experience, or directly from the Holy Spirit. And you've, ex you've experienced that. You've been at a crossroads, and you've called somebody up and said, Hey, I need to talk to this guy, or I need to talk to this woman. She, I think she may be able to help me. And you've sat down, and you've talked with somebody, and they've been able to kind of cut through in all of the confusion, the fuzziness, and reduce the situation for you and provide some clarity. And you said, that's it. That helped me. That's wisdom. And again, the church at its best provides that. The bigger the decision, the more you want all of those boxes checked. Word, spirit, and church. You want all of those things pointing in the same direction. God speaks through all of them and they all have, they all overlap and complement one another. They, they, ideally, they don't contradict. And if anything contradicts the word, then you kick it out. That's the plumb line. You want all of those things pointing in the same direction. 
It's how the Lord wants to lead you in, a, in those kind of regular daily decisions of your life. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're at a crossroads. Maybe not spiritually. Maybe it's with your job, with your family. The different relationship. And you're just curious. What, what, what am I supposed to do? Your posture before the Lord is simple. You ask Him for guidance. So basic, but so many people go through so much of their Christian life never asking God for direction. They just don't ask. It doesn't make any sense to me. Again, He's the smartest guy out there. And He's the only one that can see the future. Why are we not asking? We have access to Him. Why are we not pulling on Him and saying, do you have something to say? Do you have some insight for me? And then we assume that God is speaking, and this is where a lot of us fall down. We may ask, but we think in our minds that if God were going to speak to us, and he's going to send us an angel into our bedroom tonight. He's going to speak in King James English and tell us exactly what to do next, and that's not how it works, ever. God's voice to us is usually subtle. In some ways, again, like I'm a thinker, like it sounds like me just better. It's not deeper. It's not James Earl Jones. It's, it's none of those things. It sounds like my thoughts. They're just better than my normal thoughts. And I would imagine for the feeling people, it's similar. That's what we're listening for. And so when I ask, I assume that God wants to speak. All of you have parents. When you genuinely ask them a question, they respond. And God's better than your parents. He never gives you the, hold on one second. He doesn't do that. He responds. And then you have to act. You're never going to have 100% confidence on the front end. Uh, 100% guarantee. It doesn't work that way. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. He's always looking for us to trust Him. So you're always going to have to take a step. And remember, in the kingdom, obedience is success. Success is not success. Obedience is success. So you taking the step is the win. Regardless of how things work out, there will be times you get the revelation and the interpretation and the application. Check, check, check. It's all good. And you're going to step out and it's going to blow up in your face. And that's okay. Your responsibility was to take the step of obedience. The results are out of your hands. We live in a fallen world. God is doing things sometimes that we don't quite understand. Results are not your responsibility. Obedience and faithfulness is. So you just take the step. Just take the step. Sometimes it's going to work out. Sometimes it's not. Don't worry about that. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. Don't worry about that either. God loves it when you try. He can redeem anything. In faith, you just take the step. That's all that you can do. and That's all you're responsible for. I've done that. I've been doing that. I'm frustrated. God's not directing me. You have anything for me? Real quick as we close. A couple of brief words. We don't have time to dive into them. You'll have to dig into them this week. Rem uh, obey the last clear word that you heard from the Lord. If you feel like I'm not getting, I'm seeking direction, I'm not getting any, obey the last clear word. At a minimum, you know the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love people. So you just keep doing that until God shows you something more specific. But keep doing what you're doing until God shows you something else. Obey the last clear word. You may want to ask, God, is there something on my end of the relationship that's keeping me from hearing you clearly? 
Am I, am I not being attentive? And that can be it. We live in a fast-paced world, and we may ask God for guidance, but we don't really give him a chance to speak to us. We never slow down. We don't, we're not quiet for a minute or two to see how the Lord would want to speak to us. And that may be an issue for you. You may be inattentive. You may be disobedient. Sometimes we think we can be disobedient in one area of our life and kind of seek God in this other area of our life, and maybe he doesn't care or doesn't know. It doesn't work that way. We're an integrated whole, and... So he's not going to speak to you about your job while you're over here living in open rebellion in your house with your family. He's not going to do that. He's going to clean this up first. You know how to treat your spouse. You know how to treat your kids. You know how to treat your parents. That's all clear in the Bible. And you're openly rebelling against me in that area. I'm not going to talk to you about this yet. Take care of this first. And so for some of you, I think it's rare, but that could be the case. If you're living in some kind of open rebellion before the Lord, he's not going to lead you until you take care of that. It could be unbelief. You don't believe God will speak, so you don't have ears to hear. He's speaking, you're just not aware of it. And I would say continue to seek. And, and for this, this is, this is a, uh, hear this in the heart that it's intended. At times, what God is saying to you is you pick. You decide. God's look, Psalm 37 says, If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. And what He's looking for is mature sons and daughters. And so sometimes what He does is He says, Not I don't care, but either they're both good. I can bless either one of these options. What do you want? Now, for some of us, that's the nightmare scenario. We don't want God to, tell, to ask us what we want. We want him to tell us what to do. And, and we can hide behind I'm being humble and I'm being submissive, and really we're being scared and immature. If God asks you what you want, then you need to be able to tell him what you want. What he's looking for from us is for us to be so conformed to the image of his son that we can say, this is what I want. And he'll say, okay, you can go do that. How do you know? I, I put... God on a clock, and I mean that reverently. If I've been seeking, and I don't get any clear direction, it's January 27th, so what I may say is, all right, Lord, I, have to, I need to make this decision. I can't just stew on this forever. I've asked, and you haven't really spoken to me. I don't sense any direction. I've talked to some people, and they don't have anything for me. As far as I know, we've got open lines of communication. So here's the deal. If you don't let me know before February 28th, then I'm going to do what I want, and this is what I want. If that's not what you want me to do, then you can let me know. But otherwise, this is the road that I'm taking. I'm going to do this. And he can, he's fully capable of redirecting us. He has more invested in our obedience than we do. But at some point, we need to move forward. We need to do that. I'm looking at my wife here, Mary Margaret, and that was... That was, part of our, that was part of my process in proposing to her like 22 years ago. It was, God, this is what I want. And here's the timeline. And unless you want me to do something else, then I'm going to do it. And he gave me the desires of my heart around that. I didn't have a, nobody appeared in my room and said, marry her. It's what I wanted to do. And I laid it before him and I was able to move forward. So that's kind of what that looks like. It's not arrogant. If you do it arrogantly, God doesn't, he's not engaging. But it, with humility, if you're willing to say, 
I've sought. I'm not getting anything clear. And so this is my plan unless you tell me otherwise. That gives God every opportunity. Don't give him 30 seconds. I do a month. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. And it works, out, and it works out however it works out. You're not guaranteed ever. But it works out how it works out. And I think sometimes, actually I think a lot of, at some point for everyone, that's how I'll say that. At some point for everyone, you're going to be at a fork and you're going to say, God direct me. And he's going to say, you tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. That requires, on some levels, there's a greater level of maturity to be able to say to the Lord, here's my heart and I'm going to own my own desires before you. And he, as a good father, says, I'm happy to give you that. Go for it. So here's how we're going to close this morning. We're going to take communion. The way we take communion here at Stonebridge, you'll come forward a row at a time. You'll break off a piece of bread and dip it in this juice. This is gluten-free communion. That'll be here for anyone who needs it. Uh, after you take communion, I would love for, uh, for you to stop to, at these ministry teams and receive prayer. Two specific invitations. We'll pray with you about anything you have going on, but these two things specifically. One, if you're sick, we want to pray for you. One of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection is he forgives us of all of our sins. And another one is that he heals us of all of our diseases. Healing is a mystery to us. We know ultimately we're not, we're not all going to be healed until we die or Jesus returns. But we can experience some level of healing now. And so we want to ask him for that. So if you're sick, we want to pray for you. If it's chronic, if it's something that's just, you know, you just have a cold, either way, we want to pray for God to heal you this morning. People make a cross with oil in the back of your hand and pray simply for God to heal you. If you're at a, a juncture, a, a fork in the road, you need some direction. And we want to pray for God to speak to you. Nobody up here is going to tell you what to do. They're not going to advise you. They're just going to ask for God to speak and for you to have ears to hear what he's saying. And we would love to pray with you about that. Communion reminds us of the depth of love that God has for us, the, the links that he went to to reconcile us to himself. Romans, Paul, Paul says in Romans, if, if God didn't withhold his son, and this bread and juice represents the body and blood of his son, how much more will he not give you all things? How much more will he not touch your body? How much more will he not direct your life? And so we want to take advantage of the access that we have as sons and daughters this morning. All of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection are available to us. We want to take advantage and receive those things. So uh, Bo's going to come back and lead us in a song of worship. If you're helping with communion, if you come forward and get in your spot. If you're on the ministry teams, if you'd also come forward and grab a, a vial of oil. And then uh, after I pray, you guys can stand. And after I pray, uh, Kim will signal y'all uh, to come forward a row at a time. And please stop and get prayer uh, if you're sick. And please stop and get prayer if you need some direction. God, we're so thankful for, for you sending your son. We're thankful, Jesus, for your life and your death and your resurrection. We're thankful for all of the benefits that flow to us because of your obedience. We're thankful that you forgive us of all of our sins. And I pray for every student and every man and woman in this room that each one of us would know the, the depth of forgiveness that's available, that you remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. We're thankful that you forgive us of all of our diseases and we don't understand physical healing, but we're just asking you to supernaturally and miraculously touch people here today, not because we say some magic formula, 
but because you're a good father. We're thankful that you redeem us from the pit and you crown us with love and compassion. We're thankful that you um, fill our, our desires with good things and renew our strength like the eagle. And I pray for those who are needing direction and that you would lead them in those paths of peace, those good desires, I pray, for them as they seek you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you apply to each one of us these wonderful blessings that are available because of Jesus' obedience. Amen.